0: What's up, what's up, bitches? We're back for another week, and this week it's going to be a little bit different of an episode because unlike talking about the reality that I usually talk about or some of the guests I've had on, this week I have on New York Times bestselling author, Katherine Center. I've been hyping up this interview, and I've been so excited to talk with her about her books, her writing process getting a little bit of a sneak peek about her book that will be released in 2023 and I'm just so excited for you guys to listen to this interview. I hope that you guys get something out of it and I can't wait to hear all of your feedback. So without further ado give a big warm positively uncensored welcome to Katherine Center.
1: Yay I'm super excited to be here thank you.
0: Absolutely. So I have a question to get us started. And I was thinking that this could be a good leeway for people who maybe aren't readers. And so what would you say to someone that says that they, you know, are too busy to read or, you know, they don't have time in their life? Um, Do you have any like tips that you would like give to someone that, you know, could convince them that there's always time for reading?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, well, I could go all day on this. I mean, how many hours do we have? <laughs> I, I really have this sort of personal theory that the right stories at the right time are incredibly nourishing for us in very deep psychological ways that we might not even really be able to identify or articulate. I really think that stories on a kind of metaphorical level are helping us wrestle with sort of our own psychological demons and issues and questions and stuff, right? And I think that stories, when you get the right ones at the right time, they can help you answer questions about your life and what it all means and what really matters and who you want to be that you might not even know that you need to ask, you know, it's so, it's such deep stuff going on with stories. So, so yes, I mean, I just, I'm such a mad lover of stories and I think that they're so good for us. If we connect with the right ones. Now it's possible that the ones that you read in high school for English class weren't the right ones at that moment, right. Weren't what you needed. So I think one of the tricks to kind of falling madly in love with reading is to give yourself permission to read whatever you want to read um, and not just read the books that you think your high school English teacher would approve of, or that your sort of snooty friend would approve of, but to give yourself permission to read the books that like speak to you, right. That are like calling to you that there's something about that story or that plot or that character or that world that it's set in that's calling to you. And it's a kind of, way of learning to follow your own compass about what books to read. Um, you know, I think if you are using an external compass, it's never going to get you to that deep nourishing place that that books can get you to. Um, so so that's the first part of my answer to your question, because the, I think the first thing about making time for reading or or like working reading into your life, in my opinion, is to find a way to connect with those stories that are really going to mean something to you and that are going to just hijack your brain and pull you in and get you so excited. And then once that's happened, once you've found those stories that are like resonating for you in this sort of electric way, then it's a lot easier to make time for reading because you want to read, right? It's it's not, it's not a chore anymore. It's not like, Oh, this is nourishing. It's not like eating broccoli, right? It's like, (laughs) It's not like something you're doing because it's got, you know, lots of vitamins and minerals. You're doing it because it's fun. You're doing it because you love to do it. You're doing it because it makes you feel good, right? And then suddenly that's a whole different Yeah, Yeah, totally. And then it becomes questions like, okay, well, I've got a million things to do. And then there's questions about like, well, audiobooks are a great way to get reading done, even if you still have to do a million dishes and run a million carpools or go to the grocery store, you know, that's a way to work in your reading, right? Or prioritizing, you know, setting time aside in a kind of ritualistic way or um, where where, like this is your reading time and it's protected or scheduling it into your planner so that it doesn't, you know, get forgotten or scheduled over and suddenly the week's over and you're like, whoops. So there are tricks to it. But I think the most important thing at the very beginning is about um, shifting your relationship. Right. To what you're choosing to read so that it's something that's pulling you instead of you having to push yourself towards it, because that I think is the thing that makes all the difference.
0: First of all, I love that answer. Um, (laughs) I have two main thoughts. And the first one is I never even like I've always read for pleasure my whole life. I've been a reader since, you know, the time I could read. Um, But it wasn't until I started reading your books that I really understood that you can connect with characters about their relationships with their families and the dynamics and like some underlying like secrets that, you know, that are existing. And like after reading, you know, three of your books and then watching the movie as well, it, it was a very, it, it, that was connected for me. It seems like there was always a way for me to connect to your characters. And I never had felt that way, you know, reading before. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So the stories definitely. And second of all, I love that you're not book shaming people. You know, everybody can read exactly what they want. It's so easy to see the same book circulating online and, you know, Of course, it's probably a great book and to tap into that. But there's so many books out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel really very strongly about this because um, if a book speaks to you and resonates for you, that's a good book. Like, totally. Right. I think all reading is valid. And the most important part of it all is to find those books that are going to speak to you. Right. No matter what that is and um because because when you do that you are engaging in a process of nourishing yourself that is really profound yeah even if you're, you know even if you're reading stories that the rest of the world might roll their eyes at which i do very often <laughs> um, so uh you know i think you just it's a it's a kind of a process of like standing up for yourself and being like, this story is doing something really important for me emotionally right now. And I don't even know what it is, but I'm just (laughs) going to trust myself and I'm going to go with it. I mean, it's a real kind of process of trusting yourself and that's good for you. Just inherently good.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, with that being said about you know how you like to inspire your readers. Like, what inspired you to start writing? Like, who were your authors that, once you read them, you know you were like, "This is something I could do."
1: Um, there are many, many different answers to that question. Um, the short answer and the answer that I give the most often, and 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 kind of the truest sort of origin story that I have about all how all this got started is that I started writing fiction when I was in the sixth grade and um, I was in sixth grade in the 1980s and I was madly in love with the 1980s boy band Duran Duran. And so I started writing fiction by writing basically fan fiction about Duran Duran. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's how it all got started. And I, um, was very awkward in the sixth grade. I was very dorky in the sixth grade. I had terrible hair and no fashion sense. And I was, um, awkward and very self-critical, right. And super mean to myself in that. Right. As we all are at that Alarming way. Yeah. That sixth grade girls are at that age. And, um, I just really, really needed some encouragement and I really needed some hope and I really needed a sense that there was like some kind of possibility of joy on my horizon. And um, I was lucky because I had two best friends who were also awkward and also miserable. And we were all in love with Durant. (laughs) And we got this idea that we should write um, novels, individual novels about meeting the band members and that we should cast ourselves as the main characters in the novels. And so we did. You know, we would kind of suffer through the school week. And then on the weekends, the three of us would get together, put on our PJs, pile into somebody's bed, open up our little notebooks, and read our novels to each other in installments. Love it. It was so blissful, right? It was so ridiculously giddily fun. Yeah. And, I mean, that was it. That was the moment when I was hooked. I mean, that was the moment when... I sort of first tasted this like very very particular sweet nectar that fiction has, right? That stories have this kind of particular magic of stories and from then on in one way or another for the rest of my life I've been totally obsessed with stories and like trying to figure yeah. out how they work and and how to how to wield that magic, like how to how to make it, how to use it for good for myself and others basically. Right.
0: Well, full disclosure, I listened to your TED Talk, so I knew some of this. I absolutely, like, I, like, honestly, my last Google search was who is Duran Duran, because I'm a little bit out of the loop. So I was like, who is that? Uh, I thought it was one person, you know, so I had to look that up Great. and ease myself in. But has that ever come full circle where they, I'm not sure if they're still alive, but did they ever acknowledge your stories? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no but you know it could still happen it could still right? Okay, I, I'm not giving up you know um, I'm not
0: giving up for you they're
1: That's still exciting. around they still play um they were they just played for the queen not that long ago I mean they're still out there wow I would that, that I'm still a mad Duran Duran fan personally um right that was the middle school thing but um but I love them because they saved me you know absolutely I, they were my first first loves you know yeah um, so, That's yeah, so
0: cute I, and funny, though.
1: <laughs> it's funny because, um, yeah, the older I get, the more, like, that becomes a very obscure reference. I mean, to people of a certain age, they're like, oh, yeah, I also wrote fan fiction about Duran Duran, right? And, <laughs> you know, there's a very, like, you know, Generation X people definitely get that. But um, I also had a moment like that a few years ago when I was talking at a high school to some kids in a creative writing class, and I was um kind of wanting to oppress them by telling them that um I, I went to the school where Wes Anderson's movie Rushmore was filmed. Um, because Wes Anderson went to my high school and none of them had ever heard of Wes Anderson. <laughs> None of them had seen Rushmore. And then I went home. I was like, how is this possible? And I went home and I Googled it. And I realized that th- that Rushmore was filmed like before these kids were born, you know. I and have to I- look
0: this up before so that I can see because I want to say that I know who he is, but I don't want to <laughs> lie. So I just have to see his face.
1: He's a director and he's... Um, <laughs> He's done all these really fantastic movies. I mean, he's really okay. Uh,
0: so he's honor. not an actor, so I wouldn't know no. him from being in the movies. Okay, so yeah. you know. no, no, no.
1: Yeah, I mean, Got no. It. But he, so he's done all these amazing movies. Next time right. you're bored and you need, you know, uh, a binge situation when there's a snowstorm and you need to like curl up for days and watch TV, just do his whole thing because he he's really. He's a he's the kind of people, he's the kind of director that people study in film school, right? He's wow. really iconic and very special and very magical.
0: Um I definitely will. And I hope that the listeners check him out too because um a few films that popped up did look familiar, but I could totally get into a full day of Wes Anderson.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will enhance your life for sure.
0: Good. I'll add it to the list.
1: <laughs> add it to the list. My <laughs> favorite one is one called the Royal Ten and Bounds.
0: Oh, okay. I'll, I'll write I'll it down throw that out
1: there as a wreck. It's an earlier one of his. And I just, I don't know. It's got a lot of heart. I really love it.
0: So one thing that I noticed about your books is that there's usually like a very capable, strong female lead. Um, and that was another thing that I did here briefly in your Ted talk that you said, like how important it was to write from that perspective. Um, what made you want to start writing that way?
1: Um, well, I think it actually, yeah, I always write in the first person. Um, so it's always, I did this, I did that. It's not in the third person. Like she did this, she did that. And I, I always write, um, you know, I always have kind of a single narrator who's the main character, the point of view character. And it's, it's always a woman. And part of the reason for that is because there are a lot of reasons for that, but one of the big ones is that I, I am always trying to make the stories feel incredibly intimate and incredibly connected and close, like how it would feel if you were like having coffee late at night with your very, very best friend who you hadn't seen in a year and she was giving you the lowdown on everything that mattered to her, right? Right. I, and and the reason that I write those stories is partly that that's my favorite kind of story to read, right? And you kind of have to write what you love. Um, I love feeling really, really deeply connected with the main character in a story. And so and then part of the reason that I always write in first person is because, um that's how I learned to write, honestly. I think that's mostly it. Like I more than anything, the way that I learned how to write was by keeping journals. So for like 10 years, from sixth grade all the way through college, I wrote obsessively constantly in notebook after notebook after notebook, chronicling every tiny piece of minutiae in my life and <laughs> analyzing it ad nauseum. And so that is certainly the most comfortable way for me to write. I mean, I can do third person. I can do second person. You know, I, I have other options. But the way that feels the most natural and the most um, – kind of smooth and easy for me is, is first person. Cause that's what I've kind of started out doing. Um, but I also like it, you know, for me, I really love, I like a narrator that you can root for and a narrator that you can feel connected to. Right. And that you can, um, I like, I actually really like a, a likable narrator. I know there's a movement afoot um, that, you know, not all narrators need to be likable and that's certainly true. But for me, you know, that's what I like. So that's what I always want to write. Um, and, and I always write from a female perspective because I feel like that's the perspective. I feel like I know the best, right? obviously, and can write from the most authentic perspective that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I enjoy you know, that. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, stories are always like a collage when you're writing a story, you're like, you're grabbing things from all over the place. It's not true. A story is a made up thing, but you're grabbing like something that you dreamed and something that your mom told you and like some cute pair of shoes that you saw your sister wearing. And, you know, you're grabbing things from all over and then you're putting them together in um, hopefully in a way that feels very real. And you're using sort of the glue of your imagination, but you're also using the authenticity and wisdom of your own experience to kind of put it all together into something that is more than the sum of its parts and that feels true, you know, because if it doesn't feel true, there's no point in reading it. You know, I think you've right. got to be using all of those pieces to drive us all towards some true something about that situation and that moment in that person's life. So,
0: And I totally agree. Like everybody feels differently. And, you know, after they read a book and everybody remembers different key parts of the book because, you know, whether they relate them to their own experience or, you know, it felt familiar. So I can appreciate that you like keep that in mind as you're even writing the books themselves. Um, And I also enjoy that they are almost always in a career that you wouldn't expect them to be, you know. So it's kind of like breaking the norms. I like how. I like how you do both of those parts at the same time.
1: Yeah, that is fun. Um, So like I wrote this book called Things You Save in a Fire. That's about a woman firefighter. Um, And my husband is a volunteer firefighter and has been forever and ever. And when I first met him, he was working as an EMT. And so that character of Cassie, the firefighter, she's like half me and half him. Right. Because I am not an EMT or a firefighter in any way. And in fact, I'm much more of a, like, you know, he's like a go out and do things person. He's like a, you know, put on your bunker gear and go out in the hundred degree heat into a building on fire kind of person. And I'm much more of a, like, curl up on the sofa with a fuzzy blanket kind of person. <laughs> right. He actually wants to do things and I want to think about doing things and like imagine doing things. Yes. So, we're so we're so different in that way. And Cassie is, she's, I gave her all of those qualities that he has where he gets calm in a crisis. He, you know, likes deciding what to do. He's got a kind of a, almost a spooky ability to not freak out when everybody else is freaking out. I gave all of that to her and that's really him. But then I also gave her, you know, my sense of humor, my way of seeing things, my, you know, insights into what the situation might mean. And then, to, and then when you mush those two things together, you come up with kind of a different person. It's like, she becomes her own little person. She's not me, but, and she's not him. She's just Cassie. She's just this real person in my head. So I love that it. book so much.
0: And I loved Cassie. Um, that actually brings me to the next question I was going to ask, which you may have just even answered, but is is she the character then that you feel like you've related to most that you've
1: written? She was the character that I feared I would relate to the least because I got to tell you, every time I've ever seen my husband get a page that there was a fire and like stand up in the middle of dinner and like leave like a plate of sizzling fajitas behind while he races off to go deal with the fire... I have thought to myself, I cannot relate to that on any level. Like, no part of me that would want to go be doing that right now. So I was actually really nervous to write that book because I thought, I can't relate. I can't relate to wanting to fight fires. I can't relate. Right. And the, actually, the number one thing that I really need to be able to do, I think, with a narrator is be able to relate, is to be able to kind of get into her skin and want the thing that she wants. But what I found, and this was actually my husband helped me with this, It was such a great thing that he said when I was kind of right at the beginning, kind of struggling with like, how am I going to be this person, right? How am I going to get in here? Um, He said, what if it's not about the firefighting? What if you don't think about it in terms of firefighting? What if it's just that she just really, really wants to do the things she's good at? Right. Right. What if she just really, really wants the world to back off And let her do the thing that she's good at. And that I could relate to because I've been, you know, working to establish a career as a writer for, I mean, 15 years plus another couple of decades. So, you know, I know what that's like to struggle and to have a thing that you want to do and a thing that you know you can do if you could just get your shot, you know, and that I could relate to. And so once I switched it and made it less about the firefighting and more about just wanting to do your thing. I totally got that character. It snapped all into place. And I was like, I've got her. I can do this.
0: Yes. I lo- I loved her character. And, you know, same. I'm not very adventurous in terms of um, willing to put myself in, in genuine danger. Sure, like I enjoy like a good trip as much as anybody and, you know, taking a vacation. But I myself would also like to have a fuzzy blanket or sitting on the <laughs> beach with a book. Um, meanwhile, you can find, you know, like uh, my boyfriend, like in the ocean, like you know, like a couple yards out. I'm like, what are you doing? Not me. I'm planted ground. I like to be grounded. That's what I like to be. Yes,
1: that's fair.
0: (laughs) I I feel like it's fair as well. Um, So being that you like relate to your characters as you write them, have you ever disliked a character or felt like, you know, I'm able to write this, but I truly wouldn't get along with them in my personal life?
1: Um, never with a main character. Okay. Uh, they're always so much me that I yeah. just, um, you know, I mean, they're not me. They're, they've they had different experiences and they've done different things and they often even interpret the things that have happened to them in ways that are different than I might in real life. Um, But they have enough of me that I can't help but feel affection towards them. But I have lots of secondary characters who are like... <laughs> You know, causing problems, right? Or being unreasonable, or um, you know, vindictive, or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, you've got to have that in a story. I mean, that's part of what creates the 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 dramatic tension and keeps us all turning the pages. So, yeah, I frequently do have stories where there are you know terrible people and things you save in a fire. Um, Oh my god, what's her ex boyfriend's name? That horrible childhood boyfriend, Heath. Heath Oh yeah. Yeah, oh my, my gosh, in, Heath, yes. yes. I mean, obviously not a not a person you want to hang out with. And um, and in the and the bodyguard, you know, Bobby slash Robbie. Yes, um,
0: he popped in my head him. instantly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I actually got told recently by um this fun uh bookseller who I really love. She was she read the bodyguard and she was like, uh, you have a real knack for writing jackasses. You do. <laughs> like, not sure if that's a blessing or a curse, but um, <laughs> yes, I that, you know I have I do have a lot of like terrible ex boyfriends in in story. Chip
0: is like in a whole category of his own. I literally um, put the book down and underlined like when he made like such a horrendous comment because I was like, I hate you, Chip. Like I literally detest you. I, I wrote that in my book because I just couldn't <laughs> resist. Like um, what the character in How to Walk Away like indoors, that book just like pulled me in. I was reading until 2 a.m. last night. I mean, it just pulls you in and it's so like you just feel for her and you just want her to have some like kindness. And then when you have him who is just so wrapped up in his own
1: self, oh my gosh,
0: he, he was the worst for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I did not intend for him to be that terrible. And, <laughs> I, you know, he was just going to be kind of like, suboptimal. He was going to be just kind of weak and not able to kind of rise to the moment originally. Right. But then, um, you know, there's a moment when you are no longer telling what the characters, telling the characters what to do. There's a moment when it kind of shifts and everybody becomes real. And then they're just kind of doing what they're doing. And you're just like, ah, okay, I guess you are really terrible. Who knew? (laughs) So they almost
0: have a mind of their own like it's almost yeah. yeah i like that you you've mentioned before that your like books speak to you so i'm assuming that that's in in turn a little bit of what you meant
1: yeah it's um it's really fun um i mean i don't know that it would be fun if i were writing stories about serial killers but because i am writing you know love stories and stories about personal growth and stories about people who i like really really enjoy hanging out with mentally Uh, For me, it's really fun because, you know, almost anywhere I'm going, you know, there's a possibility that they might start talking and saying funny stuff. Generally, they're funny stuff. And when that happens, it's like really thrilling, you know, and I'm having to like grab like a, you know, grocery receipt and a crayon and start trying to jot it all down before I forget it. Um, But yeah, for me, they're very much, they're very much like real, I mean, they feel very much like real people to me.
0: I'm sure that it's similar to how actors take on a role to the point where outside of their, their character, um, you know, some people even say like, wow, like that actor is really starting to resemble the roles that they're taking on. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like that second identity like walks around with you, um, you know, until the book is finished or maybe even afterwards, you know, you're still, you've written from their perspective for so long
1: that you're still thinking about what they would say or do in this
0: situation.
1: Yeah, usually by the time I'm done, done, and have gone through copy edits and the whole thing, um, I'm on to the next book, and I do kind of let it go. Good. Uh, And so, like, actually, that's exactly where I am right now, because I just turned in copy edits for my book that will come out next summer, and now that was kind of the final step on that book, and now I get to kind of turn myself completely over to writing my summer 2024 book, which... um, I'm so excited to write. I hardly know what to do with myself. Uh-huh. Um I'm just they're just saying funny stuff all the time and I'm like ideas are like hijacking my brain constantly for like oh my god they could do this. And um that is that's totally blissful. I mean it's just so much fun. So
0: I love that. It seems like um, your writing process is not just fixated in one room. And I was going to ask you about that, you know, like, are you sitting at, you know, your same laptop and everything's on your computer? Or is it like a notepad in every room? I take what I can get as soon as ideas come. Here they are.
1: I don't have an office or anything. Um, So, yeah, I just have a laptop and I kind of take it all around the house. Um, I do a lot of writing in the bathtub, wow. um, not with my laptop. I was about I, to ask. <laughs> I, I print it out. Um, and then I take the paper, the pages in the bathtub. Um, I've dropped many pages in the bathtub over the years. Oh. Um, but actually where I do most of my writing is, um, in a town on the coast of Texas. That's about an hour from my house called Galveston. It's on an Island. Mm-hmm. And, um, my my mom actually has a very small i don't want to call it a house it's more like a shack a little beach shack um down there that she's had forever and ever and ever and it is nothing fancy it's actually so um such an old wobbly house that like when you walk in the front door it bounces in the back of the house like it's up on stilts and it's very we just keep thinking a hurricane's going to blow it away but it never has <laughs> And, but it's got great sunlight, you know, and it's, if you like squint, you can see a little, like one inch of the beach. And um, I got started going down there because um, I'm a mom and I have little kids and um, it is, it's kind of hard to switch gears um, for me, like out of being a mom and, and into the sort of wide gentle ocean of my imagination um, if anybody are, is near me that I need to take care of, that's, I just stay right there, you know, ready to be on call. And so I started leaving and going out of town so that I could sort of turn that off and just hang out with the imaginary people. And that worked so well. I mean, I really have found that if I, and I'm sure this is true, whether you kids or not, whatever your responsibilities are, that are like tethering you to reality, right? If you can find a way to step out of that and get away from it, Um, it frees you up to get your work done in a really profound way. And so I found that like when I am away writing, (laughs) I can wake up in the morning, make a pot of coffee, sit down, you know, on the sofa, start writing. And before I know it, it's dark outside. Um, You know, I've done 20 or 30 pages, 40 pages, and I didn't even notice the time passing. Um, So I can actually get a huge amount done if I can do that and I'm not interrupted and I don't have to stop and start, if I can just start and build momentum and just keep going, um, it's a much faster process for me as well. So yeah, that's what I do. Mostly I read yeah. this. I could easily read a book just about what you just described, you know,
0: the cute, <laughs> the cute little house on stilts. I mean, it just sounds... I can't like, so I can't even use the right word, like folklore, like it just sounds so beautiful. Like that's such a like tranquil setting in my mind. Like I love places that have a little bit of seclusion and are just quiet and they might not be anything special to someone else, but you just feel really connected and grounded there. So I can picture that in my mind and I would also read that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is all those things. Actually, I did a little Instagram reel about it. If you're ever bored, you can sort of scroll back sometime this summer I try to do like a day at the beach. Um, but I was realizing as I was making that real that like it's just a sweet, sunny place. It just is a nice place to be emotionally, you know, it's it's a happy little spot. So yeah, yeah. I feel grateful like to get to do that.
0: Yeah, it's a peaceful place for you. And that's freeing to write in when you feel that way as well, you know, like you said, when you have the like responsibilities of life weighing on your brain and pulling you in so many directions, to just feel at peace and have the
1: space, you know, I'm sure that that helps the creative process. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I think there are ways to set it up, lots of different ways to set up, you know, rituals that kind of allow you to sort of untie yourself from reality and kind of float off into your imagination. That's, that's the thing that you have to do I think there are a lot of ways to get there. Um, but for me, that's that's been the best one so far.
0: You know, I was going to ask you if you had any superstitions, like similar to how athletes will only wear like a certain pair of shoes before a game. So is going to that house like one of yours when you write a book? Yeah,
1: you know, I don't know that it's a superstition exactly, but I think that there's a little bit of like Pavlovian brain training that goes on. It's like the minute I get there, I mean, after all these years of doing it this way, um, the minute I walk in, I'm like, all right, time to get to work, you know, whereas if I'm home, I can get distracted by anything and everything like, oh, there's laundry to do, I should go to the grocery store, I need to mail this thing, you know, whereas when when I'm at the beach, I just know there's, there's nothing else going on there. There's only the story. Um Absolutely. I mean I don't even really cook anything when I'm down there. I just sort of bring things I can nibble on that don't have to be cooked because I don't want to have to do anything else. I just want to write the story.
0: Right, no distractions. So when you're writing your characters, how do like how does that process work? Are you first, you know, a name pops in your head and then you write their personality or are you shaping the entire character and then a name comes to you? Like how does, you know, writing
1: such complex complex characters work? Um, I think it's, it's kind of different every time. It's not a, it's a very circular process. Um, I never do anything the same way twice for some reason, you know, it's always different. Um, but I will say there are certain things that need to happen. I mean, I would say generally speaking, stories start for me with a person talking like a narrator talking, Um, or at least that always was the way that it started when I was younger. I'm not sure that's still it, but I know there are things I need to know before I can start the story. So I won't start writing until I've got certain things very clear in my head. And those things are, I need to know who the characters are, what they want and what they're wrong about, about themselves. Wow. Because, um, because the most satisfying thing about any story is something that's kind of going on under the surface, which is this character arc, right? In any story with the, with the main characters, or really with any of the sort of medium to large characters, they need to have an arc. They need to, the events of the story need to change them in some really important way, right? They need to come out on the other side, having, experience something that has caused them to rethink their assumptions about who they are and who the world is and who people are and what really matters, right? That's that's what I'm interested in in a story. That's my favorite part of the story. It's just sort of the the growth that right. the characters are, Yeah. right? And so I never, ever, I never, I'm not a, you know, there's in the fiction writing world, they have um, what they call plotters and pantsers plotters are people who plot everything out in advance and pantsers are people who write by the seat of their pants, right? They just start and see where it goes. Um, And I am a mixture of those two things. I'm not a great plotter because for me, so much of the story grows out of like the chapter that just happened, right? So there's that sense of like, like I one time read that, J.K. Rowling had like plotted out all of the Harry Potter books, like in advance, like on a cocktail napkin or something. This is, I'm getting all the details wrong, yeah. but like, knew everything right. Well, before starting to write, that is not me at all. For me, writing is a process of discovery. Um, so I start with some big pieces that I know are going to be there. And I start with a situation and I start with a character who needs to learn something or rethink something. And, um, and then I kind of go from there but that said even though I'm not very good at making a plot I am constantly trying to make a plot um and for me a plot is not like a like a Roman numeral outline it's more like just a list uh, of things that I want to see happen and, uh, and trying to put them into a certain order because I really do think that there should never ever be anything in a story that doesn't need to be there right Agreed. there should never there should never be just random you know, wanderings. Like everything, every single sentence, every single word needs to be there for a reason. And it needs to be driving us towards something that matters in that story. And so I really try to be very careful um, not to wander loose in the story. Like I want it all to be tight and focused and moving where it needs to be going. So on some level, you have to have an outline. You have to know what you're heading towards to know that what you're putting in the story is necessary. right? Um, But on the other hand, I also want to leave room for surprise and discovery, you know, and things to happen once the characters kind of become real and take over. So, you know, I kind of stay in the middle. I don't want to be at the extreme where it's like, well, this is in the outline, so this is what we're doing. I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to be like, oh, what's going to happen today? Like, I want to know what I'm at least trying to make happen. But I also want to be open to switching if the story is kind of pulling me in another direction. I don't remember what the question is now. No,
0: I I totally followed everything that you said. So when you're writing the plot, it sounds like that's kind of the hardest part of the book for you to write. And with that being said, how do you decide at like how long in your book you're going to make the readers wait to see like the like romantic interest, like, you know, the satisfaction of seeing them together. Like, do you, do you time that out from the beginning or do you just kind of feel it out as you write?
1: Do you mean, um, when they finally sort of like realize that they love each other and like smooch Is that hundred percent,
0: like the part yeah. where you're just like, okay, guys get, get to it. Yeah, I, I've been yeah, waiting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I always put that off as long as possible. I love that. Um, and I always will, you know, there everybody's got different theories on it. And, um, you know, there's some people who feel like the characters should get together at the midpoint, but, you know, part of, I think part of being a writer is paying attention to what you love. I'm so sorry. My dog is growling at somebody out the window. Not a Um, problem. Part of like part of getting better as a writer. And I'm always trying to get better, you know, with every book, I'm just constantly obsessing over like, how can I get better? How can I do this better? Um... (laughs) Part of it is paying attention to what you love, you specifically, right? It goes back to that thing I was talking about at the beginning about, like, knowing your own compass, following your own compass, right? And for me, what I know about me in a love story is that I love the sense of anticipation that comes from knowing, you know, basically from chapter one or whatever that these two people are going to get together and like fall madly in love with each other and then waiting until they overcome all their obstacles and their questions and their testing and they get to that point. And that's my favorite part of the story. Like, I love all the parts of a story, like personal growth, you know, learning things about yourself, wisdom, poetry, all those things are good. But my favorite part is that in like joyfully anticipatory journey of waiting for this moment when this incredibly profound connection happens. Right. And they, they like, you know, same declare everything and smooch. So um, for me, if that happens at the midpoint, then the book is basically over, right? My favorite part is over at that point. So I always feel really disappointed when characters get together in the middle Um, I want it to, I mean, I want that torture, that sort of delicious torture of having to wait. And I want it, and I want them to get together, but I want it at the end. And, you know, sometimes writers will like get them together in the middle, but then suddenly she's been kidnapped. Right. And then there's this whole new journey and that happens a lot. And it's a way of keeping tension in the story. But unfortunately for me, I don't like that tension. Like, I don't like stories about being kidnapped. So once that character gets kidnapped, I'm like, well, we're, we're done. Right. We're done here.
0: Yeah. You're like, you ruined the fairy tale that I was wanting to buy into. Um, I'll stop at chapter 20 if that's where the I mean, love interest I, I will. is. Better. Yeah. I same. Really will. <laughs> Life
1: is short. I'm like, and we're done. We're done. Yeah. The, good, the good stuff is over. Same. So, yeah. So, the, so for me, you know, <clears throat> I've seen many different opinions on the things that I, the stories that I write, and I've definitely seen people who wish there were like more action sooner. Um, more nakedness, you know, I've seen lots of like wishful, (laughs) but for me, um, you know, I've got to, I, I've got to write it the way that I like to read it, you know, and, and I, I love that feeling of, I mean, I think I actually just wrote an essay about this. So I'm, it's very much in my head. This is what I was doing yesterday as everything was very bananas in my life. Um, you know, there's something very unique about love stories, That is different from all other kinds of stories. And I think about this a lot because when you're a writer, you really have to think about like when you're writing a story you really have to think about what's going to pull people through this story what's going to keep them turning pages what's going to keep them from getting bored and just wandering off right or watching Ted Lasso or something else. you know you need to hold them there right you need to hook them and what is it that hooks people well there are a lot of different things and depending on the genre of the book it's it kind of has a different emotional engine right so if you're reading a thriller the thing that is pulling you through the story is this like heart thumping adrenaline right of like are they going to solve this before time runs out you know and that's a that's an emotion that people who like thrillers like to experience right and if you're reading a mystery the emotional engine that's sort of pulling people through the story is like this intense, crazy curiosity of like, what happened? Right? Like what happened here? And there are people who love feeling that curiosity and then getting it satisfied. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't read a lot of mysteries because I'm like, you know what? They're already dead. I'm not sure why we're like, (laughs) but other people really love them. And that's, that's the reason that's the emotion that they're, they're tuning in for. Right. Um, Horror stories, right? It's fear. You want to have that like feeling of terror and then you want to get to the end where it's resolved and you want that sense of relief, right? Um, with with love stories, all, let me back up. So all of those things that I just described to you are in some ways, it's a type of anticipation that is a little bit negative, It's like you're worried about something. You're feeling fear. You're feeling a negative emotion. You're afraid. Um, And then it gets resolved in a positive way at the end, I think, probably. Um, Romance novels are very unique because what's pulling you through is not a negatively valenced experience of anticipation. It's a positively valenced experience of anticipation. You're looking forward to something good. You're absolutely forward to a happy ending you're looking forward to the moment when they realize they love each other madly and they run off and jump in bed like you are looking forward to this profound moment of human connection that you will get at the end of the story so when uh you know when a thriller writer is dropping clues often those clues give you a sense of dread it's like oh god like oh god the killer's in the house or whatever um when a romance writer is dropping clues they're they're clues that give you things to look forward to. You're like, you he like, sir, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, um, I like that feeling of positive anticipation. I've got enough worry in my real life, you know. I I do not want to sign up for that when I have a free Saturday of for something negative or scary or stressful.
0: Totally. For me,
1: I love that feeling of moving towards something better, right? Moving towards something good. And so, yeah. So that's why I will always. You know, the longer you can stretch out that moment when they finally get together, um, the longer people get to enjoy that feeling. And that's my favorite feeling. So I will always leave it till the very end.
0: I love that you just put that into words because I didn't really understand what's happening as you read through and, you know, and why you can absorb the content, like the content so fast and just be so captivated by it. And it's not a feeling of being scared for the character. You're right. It's a hundred percent, you know, this happy feeling or enchanted feeling of wanting to see them, everything work out for them, you know? So it's, it is very unique. I've never thought about it that way. And I think that's a really beautiful way to look
1: at romance novels you. This was a huge revelation in my life when I figured this out. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it, I just feel like it's kind of the guiding philosophy that's kind of driving me for a lot of the stuff that I try to do in stories. It's like um, there's a great quote that I love about stories by this guy who wrote a how to write novels book back in the 60s. His name is Dwight V. Swain. And the the quote is, um, a story is something you do to a reader Um, And I love that idea, you know, because I think about it all the time. What do I want to do to people? Yep. You know, emotionally. And what do I want done to me when I'm reading? Like what emotion do I want this story to create in my body as I'm reading these pages? And for me, that's, that's a guiding factor because I know what I like and I want to feel, I want to laugh and I want to feel hopeful and I want to feel inspired and I'm willing to worry about them. You know, and I'm willing to have heartbreak. I kind of want everything, right. but in terms of proportions, I want the majority of what I'm feeling to be moving in a positive direction, right? Yes. And and that's a that's like a guiding principle for me, and when I'm writing, so that's been really helpful for me to figure all that stuff out.
0: Who has been your favorite couple that you've written, if you can pick one? Like, which which love story did you end up just really rooting for and loving the most so far?
1: I love them all. I love them all. I know it's such a
0: hard um, question. It's I mean, like picking still, your favorite child. <laughs> it's a
1: little bit like a I mean, I'm still very, I'm still very kind of badly in love with the bodyguard right now because um that book uh, it just kind of saved me during the pandemic. I mean, that's the book I was writing, you know, during all of the lockdown stuff. And um it was just it was kind of how I created like a sunny little patch of sunshine you know, for myself, a little mental escape. Um, yeah. So I'm very grateful to that story for being as sweet and fun as it was. And it made me laugh a lot when I was writing that story. Um, I'm also very excited about the new one that that's going to happen um, next summer, you know, that I just finished copy editing. It's, there's a lot of magic in that story too. So I-
0: Yay. I Are you know. allowed to say the name or is that not revealed yeah. yet?
1: Okay. We haven't put the cover out yet. It's not quite finished, but um, yeah, it's, Um, I still haven't worked out my log line on what the story is about, but it's basically, um, let's see if I can do it. It's a story, my new book is a story about a woman who is a portrait artist. Okay. Who gets a condition called face blindness where she can't see faces. She can see everything else, but the part of her brain that registers faces is not working the way it needs to. And she can't see faces for her time. And uh, right as that's happening, she gets caught in this sort of very delicious love triangle with these two men in her life. And um, the the book is called Hello Stranger. Wow.
0: I'm so excited for it. That sounds really like such a captivating read. It sounds a little similar to how to walk away from the, from the terms of the characters really dealing with something so medically, like you just feel for them so badly.
1: Yeah. it, it In that way it is kind of similar in that she's got a physical thing that she's having exactly. to sort of figure out and, and overcome and sort of look at her, how, what her life is going to be like in the face of it. Um but I've never tried to write a love triangle before. So that was like a very fun um, and super delicious challenge. I had a really great time doing that. So that's very different. I'm that's so fun.
0: excited to read it. So did that title come to you last or do you kind of think of what you want the book to be called first?
1: Um, it depends on the book. Okay. Um, it varies quite a bit. Sometimes I'll have an idea and I'm like, I know that this is going to be the title and we stick with it the whole way through. Um, with Hello, Stranger, I didn't even come up with that title, actually. It had a totally different working title. The same was true for The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard had a completely different working title. Um, and for both of those two books, um, my editor came back and said, what if we do this? And immediately on both of those titles, I was like, oh, that's way better. Yes, let's do that. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, titles are really, really important. And I Absolutely. will... Um, I mean, it just matters so much that you have a good title and I'm, I will go, I mean, I will keep lists the whole time I'm writing a book. Like this is a working title, but here are a hundred other possible things that could look like titles. I mean, the whole time I'm writing, I'm, I've just got my ear like turned for like, oh, that could be a title. You know, I think about it a lot because <laughs> I know it really matters. Right. Um, and it's a kind of a very specific knack and when, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a B plus at them, but, um. When a good title comes along, you definitely know when you hear it. And uh, so I'm always trying to be on the lookout for like... And a good good cover too. Yeah.
0: Like all of your covers. I mean, like you, I noticed them right away. I love the fact that the bodyguard was so bright. Um, I saw that so many... You know, I'm not sure if it's you. I was going to ask you this, actually. But are you the one that's painting in the books? Is that you doing the watercolor? Or is that, like, hands yes. I love that. No, that's me. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so, um, yeah, I almost went to art school Okay. when I was younger. So I, I, I like to make things. I'm very crafty and stuff. So, yes, I've been doing a lot of that. I've been making... Um, I've been writing in the books. I've been painting on the books. I've been having all kinds of fun uh, trying to think of things I can do uh, for, you know, Instagram Reels because they had a shift recently where they no longer like where it's, you know, it used to just be, you could post a picture on Instagram, but now it's like, yeah, you need to be doing video stuff. And so I'm like, well, what's that going to look like in my life? But it's actually been a really fun kind of opportunity because I really do like to make, um, things. I I like to make things all the time. Like that's like a very happy thing that I get to do in life. So yeah, I've been making lots of videos of like putting quotes on the books and painting on the books and doing all sorts of fun things. I Um, love
0: that. So do you recommend that your readers do that as well? Like after they finished a book, like getting creative with it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. In fact, um, I have a book called what you wish for, and we put flowers, on the cover page, like a very pale gray kind of outline of a bouquet of flowers, hoping that people would paint them or color them in or or whatever. Yeah. 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 I love that. um, Yeah. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, there are some people who feel like you should just keep your books totally pristine, but I'm the opposite of that person. I, I like to make like the velveteen rabbit, you know, I like to make them real, and carry them around and let them get beat up and drop them in the bathtub like that's when I know I've really loved a book is when I've just mutilated it beyond recognition then I'm like that was a good read.
0: You know, I love that. I was actually going to ask you how you like if it's almost like do you feel like it's disrespectful when people underline stuff in their books and they like mark it up and you know highlight stuff or do you just really believe in like breaking in the book. So you you answered that right there. I love that because I do
1: that too. I, Yeah. I love it. I feel super honored. You know, if people tag me and they've like drawn all over my books or highlighted things or when they've um, annotated and they've got a million little tiny things sticking out of the side, I'm like, so thrilled. It's amazing. That's, I mean, I feel like, again, that's part of like really engaging with the book, right? That's part of really just devouring the book and letting it become like a part of you, right? Is just giving it that attention and connecting with it in that really profound way. I love it. I think it's absolutely the way to go.
0: That makes me feel better. And, you know, I have always, I've kind of always been like that too. Like when you have you, like when you were in grade school, did you ever highlight your textbooks and like underline stuff, even when you weren't supposed to, because so did I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because also it's encouraging, right? Like you see the progress you've made and you kind of put your mark on the book and now it's yours. I mean, there's a lot psychologically I think that goes on with annotating and writing in books. Um, And I, you know, I always also, when I'm reading paperback, I always just crack the heck out of the spine because I just Mm -hmm. like, because when it goes back on the shelf, I love to see that cracked spine. I'm like, I accomplished something there.
0: (laughs) I'm going to start doing that too. And plus it's easier to read that way anyways, you know, when you're not fighting the book, which I, I I will not give in and get a Kindle because I just love the feel of a physical book so much. But um, yes, it's the challenge of trying to read in bed and craning your neck and fighting the book sometimes.
1: I also don't have a Kindle and it's kind of for that reason. I just, I want to be able to like make it mine. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want it to disappear when I'm done either. Like sometimes I feel like digital things don't really exist. I want to put them on the shelves and have them, them all around me. and Yeah, see them. Yeah. And I love how, um, actually, when I was
0: reading The Bodyguard, there was just one, like, part of the book and like half a letter was missing. And it just made me think like, oh my gosh, like this is a real thing. Like this is a real book, you know, that people are like, like printing out. And it's almost like a kiss from the, like, I just love the little mistakes and imperfections because it just, it, it makes it real, you know, and um, you know, that's coming from somewhere and coming from someone. So I love stuff like that. Um, it makes me feel like, you know, more in touch with the writer, I guess.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm so sorry. You first. I was just going to say, um, you were talking about the covers earlier, and I did want to say that, um, I'm madly in love with my cover designer Her names Olga Grilich. She works at Macmillan, which is my publisher. And, um, she designed the cover for how to walk away, which is kind of the thing that got the flowers started, um, on all the covers. And, um, so now all of my covers have some version of flowers. Um, Oh, I could see you it grabbing it too. Yeah, I'll grab it just Yay. so I could show so, it yeah, on the she, camera. Yeah, she's such a um, she's such a genius. She's made all kinds of gorgeous, iconic covers. But yeah, that that yeah. So we had awesome. a whole conversation before that book came out, and that was my first book to ever hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I was saying to her, um, I feel like covers in the digital age should have very large text. Mm-hmm. So they're readable, you know, at a thumbnail size and they should be very bright um, and eye catching. Right. And, uh, and then I, I also think that covers ought to kind of like raise a little bit of a question for you. Like whatever images on the cover should make you sort of curious about what's going on inside that book. Right. And How to Walk Away is about a woman who's in a plane crash on the day she gets engaged and it changes her life in all kinds of ways. Um And the flowers actually came from the epilogue because at the very end, she's got some burns. And at the very end, her sister um, gives her like a tattooed flower garden over her burn scars after the crash. And so that's kind of how that all came together. I was like, you know, maybe we do something with an airplane, but we covered in flowers flowers or something and that's what she came up with and I just think it's so beautiful I mean to this day it still makes my heart sing to look at that cover
0: I love this cover it's one of the books where when you have it on your bookshelf like just seeing it and how bright it is same with the bodyguard I I completely agree with you um all of your books though because things you save in a fire I mean it has flowers too and it's also bright so I I I love that sorry my bookmark fell out of it
1: I I love that though yeah. We use the same flowers for things you save in a fire um, and just colored them differently, colored them the color of fire, right? Because right. she's a firefighter. Yeah. Um, yeah. They turned out great. I feel very, very lucky. I just thank my lucky stars for those covers all the time.
0: Yeah. They're wonderful. And I can't wait to see you know what's next too with your future books and how they look and come out as well. Thank you. Yeah. You mentioned that and I might get the name wrong, but you mentioned that you're in your new book. She's going to have a condition that I think you said, was it no, no face? What is oh, it, what it's called face, face blindness. Face blindness. And you, a lot of your books tend to write about things that I wouldn't know about without reading your book, you know, and like, it's so interesting to me that you make the time and to really research everything. Like, what is your process like? And, you know, Like, how do do you do that, I guess, to to really feel familiar enough to write about it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do a ton of research. um, And it's because I don't ever want to write it wrong. Um, And, you know, uh, typically, you know, I, I don't think as a fiction writer that you have to write only what you know. You know, if you could only write about what you know, you'd be very limited in what you could write about. And stories are made up things, right? I think your responsibility as a fiction writer is to do as much research as you possibly can for the things that you're writing about that you don't personally know, and then to supplement with all kinds of things that you do know to help kind of create a three-dimensional world that feels very real. But whenever I'm writing about something that I don't have firsthand experience with, I interview people and I go and visit. I mean, the, the book that I did the most research for Ever probably was um, how to walk away because she spends most of that book in in the hospital, right, recovering from a spinal cord injury and trying to learn to walk again. So there was a huge amount of day to day life information that I needed to gather. So I went to rehab facilities, I visited ICUs, I interviewed people who had had spinal cord injuries, I uh, interviewed. Uh, plastic surgeons who deal with burns. I interviewed a spinal surgeon about, you know, what would happen after somebody got an injury exactly like that. I mean, I really got very specific about all of the medical aspects because I didn't want to get it wrong. I hate that experience of being a reader when you're reading along and you're totally lost in this dreamy world. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, that would never happen. You know, it, it just like rips you right out, right? It just totally destroys the illusion. That said, yes. once I've done about two months of research and I've filled up, you know, three or four really fat college-ruled notebooks with just facts and information and all kinds of stuff, at a certain point, you kind of just have to let it go and write the story. So the way that I give myself permission to let it go and write the story is to just research the heck out of it beforehand and to learn everything I possibly can. And I like doing that. You know, for me, it's really, it's it's fun and it's interesting to learn about things that I don't know about yet. Um, things you save in a fire was very intimidating because I went to a bunch of firehouses and interviewed the guys at the firehouses. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit shy in certain situations and walking into a firehouse full of people I did not know and sitting down at their table and asking them to tell me all the craziest stories of their lives was, um, really like actively scary for me. Yes. Of course, They couldn't have been nicer. You know, they were so warm and so welcoming and so uninhibited. And they just told me every scatological crazy story you could possibly imagine happily. I mean, we actually wound up having a great time. But I really (laughs) had to, like, you know, drum up my courage to go and do that because I knew that I really didn't belong there. You know, that's a very particular world that I really don't know very much about. I mean, because my husband's a volunteer firefighter, I knew just enough to know that I really didn't know very much Right. And so it was very intimidating, but they were, they couldn't have been nicer, but yeah, I do that. I do that. I make myself kind of walk over those coals, learn as much as I possibly can. And then I, there's a moment when I'm like, all right, now it's time to write. And then and I just let it all that go.
0: And is it hard to find people that are willing to talk with you or is it easier than you would think to, you know, kind of just walk in somewhere and, um, be able to sit down and have those conversations.
1: I don't think I've ever asked anybody to talk with me about something who said no. I mean, I think most people um, have been happy to help. I mean, I've been actually really very touched at like how people will just like clear the schedule for the afternoon and go to coffee and, you know, let's talk about it. I think um, I really have been so grateful for that because the stories can't exist if I don't have people just being really honest with me about, their experiences. Um, I interviewed this one guy for how to walk away who had been a BMX bike racer Mm -hmm. and he got in a, you know, was flipping on his bike and landed kind of on his own head and got a spinal cord injury. And, um, I met him at a rehab where he was working to rehabilitate and walk again. And, um, you know, it kind of, for me, it feels almost like prying a little bit to be like you know tell me about tell me about what happened tell me about what's hard about that tell me about what's surprisingly good about it what's been the worst thing what's been the scariest thing what do you still worry about you know it it feels I, I worry that it feels like prying but so far um everybody that I've asked has been astonishingly gracious about just kind of leaning in and being like here's what it's really like let me tell you so it says a lot about
0: humanity, you know, that's like hope for humanity right now, just because as you mentioned, when you were writing the bodyguard kind of after, not after, cause it's still going on, but like at the peak of the pandemic, like the way that human humanity felt connected was really missing. So it's good to hear that, you know, people are still open to just being kind and having conversations and, you know, getting back to a little bit of normalcy where we just
1: care for others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Great just a side that. note. Yeah, me too. No, I'm, I with you.
1: I'm with you. <laughs>
0: Good. Um, so one of the last questions I have is how do you decide like what deeper themes you want to address in your books? Like um, in things you save in a fire, I feel like forgiveness was one main theme as well as just learning to accept love. Um, and like, how did you you know, how do you pick the two, the two most important things or the few important things that you'd like to insert into your books?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I, I typically, um, I would say that they are generally themes that kind of naturally crop up given all the sort of situations going on in the book and the characters um, and the things that have happened to them. So they're kind of logical things that would make sense, but also... They have to be something that resonates for me. You know, so like forgiveness is a huge theme in Things You Save in a Fire. And part of the reason that it's in there and part of the reason that it's got so much like page time is because I myself am not great at forgiveness. Like Mm -hmm. I know in theory that it's good for you. And I know in theory we should forgive each other. And I've heard that quote, right, about how, you know, withholding forgiveness is just punishing yourself instead of other people like i totally get that intellectually but i have people i'm still mad at from 7th grade you know like <laughs> so i want to be good at forgiveness i'm interested in it i definitely believe in it theoretically but what does that look like you know in right. practice what does it mean when you when somebody has truly wronged you what does it mean to let that go what does it mean to forgive that person how do you even start to do that? I mean, to me, that was a really interesting question. And one that I personally felt like I would benefit from figuring out a good answer to, right? So in the process of when that topic cropped up in the story, I was like, oh, this is something I'm interested in. And then I wound up doing a lot of reading about it. Like, how does this work? Like, how do you do that? And trying to figure out the sort of step-by-step for it. So generally the things that the characters in the stories are grappling with, whether it's, you know, questions of whether or not they're lovable or questions of how to forgive people or questions of how to be emotionally courageous. Um, Those are all things that I struggle with. Resilience. I'm terrible at resilience. I'm a total quitter, you know, everything. (laughs) If it's not easy. Yeah, I get that. I'm not good at that. Like, like, If something bad happens to my husband, he shakes it off and keeps on going. If something bad happens to me, I have to lie on the floor for like three days, right? And just like, like like feel the woe of it all. So, you know, I write about resilience a lot because I'm not very good at resilience and I would like to get better at it. And I feel like when you step into the skin of a point of view character in a story and you go through the stuff, not just with them in the story, but like as them, right? And have this kind of simulated experience of all the stuff that they're having to go through. The the magic of that is that on the other side, you get to take away the wisdom that those characters earned. Absolutely. Like wisdom is not a thing that you can typically like memorize the way you've learned your multiplication tables. Wisdom is a thing that comes out of your life experience. But what's so funny about fiction is that fiction is kind of a hybrid. I mean, it's a book, but if the writer has done their job, it actually does feel like something that's really happening to you or happened to you. And so you get. So it, it's kind of this cheat where it allows you to um, gain wisdom that you never, ever could have gotten from some theoretical conversation because you've had this sort of experience that you can pull the wisdom out of. And that's true if you're the reader, but it's also true if you're the writer. So, yeah, I always pick... I always pick things that I need to learn to kind of take a deep dive into.
0: That's helpful as a reader because I'll take away the things that I read and how to walk away probably for the rest of my life. I just feel like that. I feel like one thing that I noticed and you can correct me if it's, you know, if I'm wrong, but I felt like it was so important that the main character was struggling with allowing herself to be happy while she was in a situation that was, that took away her sense of normal. And I, I found myself thinking from her point of view that, you know, she kind of resented being happy. Like, no, I'm not gonna try to be happy right now. I want my old life back. I want to be able to walk again. And I'm not gonna be happy like this because I wanna go back to that. And so that can be so true for, you know, I just went through a major move, you know, even. Big changes in your life, it's so easy to try to be angry at the situation and um, stick up for yourself and refuse to be happy. but in reality, just leaning in and finding those things um, that make you happy for her with singing or you know whatever it's so important.
1: Well, and yeah, for me, that's another thing that I'm always trying to learn, right that life is always both. you know right. I think when I was younger, I when I was younger, I thought, um, I've got to solve all my problems so I can be happy. Right. I've got to get everything cleared off that's problematic so I can get to the other side of all those problems and be happy. And of course, what life teaches you kind of relentlessly day in and day out is that you will never solve all the problems. There will always be stuff that you're dealing with that is overwhelming and terrifying and bigger than you. And the minute you get one thing sort of figured out, there's other things coming at you, you know, and that's just life. I mean, that is life. And so the trick is not. To get it all fixed so you can be happy, the trick is to savor the good things that come along in the moment that they're there, right? And to let yourself have both, you know, Absolutely. Really, this is hard, but this in the midst of it is this really joyful thing that's happening and enjoy that in the midst of it. Right. And it, it took me a long time to figure that out. And I, I'm still not great at it, but I know that it's, but I believe it, you know, I yes. believe it. We can all
0: believe it. And, you know, it's, it's, it takes resiliency to be happy. And especially not when you're just falsely finding a silver lining in things, but when you truly can look at a situation and know that you've had worse happen before, or, um, there's still some blessings to be grateful for, even when everything's going wrong. Um, yeah, that, the, that, theme just sticks with me. So I'm grateful mm-hmm. that you, that you write from places of things that you're not good at, because I'm sure that other readers aren't either. That's why we're
1: reading books and trying to connect with characters, you know? Yeah. I think that's what stories do better than anything else is teach us things that we need to learn, you know? And that's Absolutely. why, that's why I think you have to read from the heart, not the head. Um, because you have to find those books with that compass because you don't even necessarily know what the things are that you need to learn. You know what I mean? You have to, your heart's going to find those for you. And so I think, yeah, I think people who love to read wind up in the end getting really good at life because they get the chance to accumulate all of this wisdom from all of these different experiences that they've had in this virtual way. And I think stories are the best teachers of of all. I mean, they're way better than textbooks as far as I'm concerned.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I've
0: so enjoyed like getting inside of your brain and kind of getting to know (laughs) like what the process is like. And I think a lot of things that you say are empowering for other women and, you know, really anybody, not even just women, like anyone who's listening, um, I think you have such a beautiful way of viewing life and also viewing reading altogether. Um, do you have anything that you would like to share before we close out the interview?
1: Um, no, uh, not in particular. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. This is yeah. a fun, very deep interview, but um, let me, let me say that if, um, if you want, this is a, a plug for um, I have a newsletter that you can come and sign up for. And it's like a little email thing. Um, but it's, I send it out four times a year. It's called Three Good Things. And it's whenever I find cool stuff, you know, like. Awesome. pants on trampolines and amazing songs and great podcasts and stuff that I found that is like totally like you know, charmed me and captured my imagination. I I tend to fall in love with things in life. I'm a person who just gets really excited about stuff. And so the newsletter is really fun because I get to share cool things that I've found with folks. So yeah, I'm always hoping that people will come and find me there because I think, you know, social media is great, but I always want to kind of cut out the middleman, right? And just show up, show up with joy for your inbox. Absolutely. And how do we find that? Like, how do we tell listeners how to find um, your newsletter? Yeah, so I have, a, um, I have a website. It's just katherinecenter.com, just my two names.com. And then um, there's a little tab up there. It'll probably give you a pop up as soon as you get there saying, hey, want to join? Perfect. Um, and it is very low key thing because uh if you, you know, if you try it and it's not your thing or you've got too much email or whatever, like you can unsubscribe and I'll never know and it won't hurt my feelings and we'll all still be good.
0: Absolutely. Um, but four times a year, I mean, come on, Coles sends you something every two hours. So Yeah,
1: I know. I yeah, yeah we I can really do that. Yeah, yeah. So and then there's always a little flurry in the summer right around book launch time of like, hey, the book is out. But then other than that, it's a, it's a like a quarterly kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. I'll definitely subscribe myself. Also, everybody check her out
1: on Instagram at, I think it's just at Catherine Center as well, yes. correct? Yes. Perfect. Just- I'm sure, yeah, it's really fun. I'm loving making all those little videos for Instagram right now. That's been really delightful.
0: And like I said, you're so interactive with your followers if they're reading your books if they're tagging you you're into you're engaging with them and that's so hard to come by to find people who are wanting to connect so you know get her books check her out on
1: social media um do all of the things yeah do the things i i've been at this a very long time like my first book came out in 2007 and um you'll just never meet a more grateful person than me for every reader who comes along. Like I've slowly, slowly, I mean, my career has been a total slow burn. Um I've slowly, slowly, slowly found the people who like the thing that I do, right. Who like the kind of story that I write, but it's been, um it's been a very slow process of delayed gratification. And I, and I'm just so grateful for everybody who's there. So yeah, I take, Instagram very seriously and if you tag me and have a review I'm if I don't respond that would be very surprising because I really really try to. And absolutely make sure to check out
0: her Instagram coming up too because we're going to do some sort of giveaway. We haven't decided exactly what yet. Actually, we decided what book you're going to do.
1: Oh yeah, we're going to The Bodyguard, right? My new. The Bodyguard! Yay! So exciting. So- yeah. We'll do a giveaway of this, um, on Instagram somehow. So yeah, definitely come and find us there. Yeah. Come and find
0: us. We'll have all the details. Um, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I, if you have anything else that you'd like to plug, who was your, um, who was your illustrationist again?
1: Cause we'll say her name once more. Just to oh yeah. Her name, her name, her name is, um, Olga Grilich is the designer who designed that cover. And then, um, she, Olga also designed this cover, but it, They also had an illustrator who painted it. So these figures and the flowers and just all of it was hand painted by a Scottish illustrator named Katie Smith. And she's on Instagram and she's got a really great Instagram full of pretty flowers and fun things. So, um, yeah, I feel very lucky to have these these folks making all this beauty. They're so beautiful. All of them.
0: Well, the, and the covers match the and the covers match the books. Like the books are beautiful as well. So beautiful cover, beautiful books. I'm so excited for everyone to check you out, and I couldn't be more grateful as well that you made time to come on my podcast and answer all of Fun. my questions. It was such
1: a treat. I could stay
0: all day. I loved it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed doing it with Catherine. It was so much fun. And like I said, make sure to check her out on Instagram at Catherine center, and also be sure to check out and enter our giveaway, which is now live at the time that this episode is airing. I can't wait to have and see and connect with so many more of you guys that love her books as much as I do. Thanks so much for listening.